You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets. Welcome in, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, and fantasy sports. I'm Doug Branson. We are coming to you live from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm joined by my co-host. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats for at thehive.com. The man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. What's happening, Doug? More basketball. We're still playing. We're still going. That's right. The season continues. The show continues. We've got Rick Bunnell, beat writer, Charlotte Hornets beat writer for the Charlotte Observer coming up on this show. He will uh, give us his take on this team that is uh, it's in a in a weird place right now. I think that's fair to say uh, they they are virtually out of the playoff race at this point and trying to decide if they want to continue to play hard for the rest of the season, play for pride, play for their coach Steve Clifford, play in a way that would signal to ownership, to the fans, that this experiment is is worth continuing. So we'll talk about that with Rick, and we'll dig in a little bit uh, into the, if we have time, I don't know if we're going to have time, but if we have time, we'll dig into what Zach Lowe from ESPN mm-hmm. had to say about the Charlotte Hornets in his latest article. If we don't have time, we'll push that to tomorrow. Nick Denning makes his triumphant return to the show. It's been a while since we've heard this. <laughs> So we'll look forward to getting Nick back on the show. But first, let's recap what happened over the weekend after an utterly embarrassing loss to the Brooklyn Nets. The Hornets wrapped up their homestand against a Phoenix Suns team that was down several starters due to injury. They get the win 122-115, to 115, but not without scaring everyone who bothered to watch the fourth quarter. The Hornets allow 43 points in the final frame. They squandered what was a 22-point lead against the Suns. Phoenix had it down to two points with 2.30 left. Next possession, Kimba was crazy close to turning it over at the baseline before somehow getting a pass to Frank Kaminsky in the corner who rotates to Nick Batum, who somehow gets a shot away that banks in for three. A ridiculous way to win a ridiculous game that the Hornets should have had in the bag after the game. This was uh, Steve Clifford saying, quote, hey, so sometimes you just have to win a game. How about that? We needed to win a game, and we won a game. So that's it. That's how I feel. It's what, what I'm saying, say? and I'm sticking with it. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> how about that? He sounds, like, he sounds like Stu Gatz from I the mean, Dan Levitard show. How about that? <laughs> what else can you say at this point? I really, honestly, that's, I think that sums up anyone that was watching that game, Doug. Uh, you know, Clifford is <laughs> near exhaustion again at this point. He has nothing else to say. Yeah. I mean, uh, 18 made threes on 32 attempts for the Phoenix Suns, good for 56.3%. Yeah. They've allowed 40% or greater shooting from three in three out of their last six games. In five out of the last six games, the Hornets have allowed 110 or more points. 
It's listen, it, it takes a commitment. It is difficult to play team defense. It's difficult to play defense in the NBA with so many good offensive weapons and and teams uh, like the Phoenix Suns and the Brooklyn Nets who have a lot of youth and a lot of shooting. And, you know, if you don't try, if you don't commit to stopping penetration, uh, all of the you saw Phoenix like that's the thing about that's the beauty of the NBA is that you saw Phoenix executing really well on offense, uh, moving the ball effectively, getting it inside out, rotating the basketball, switching sides in, in, a, in a way that, again, what you would look at that and go, well, they're not they can't be one of the worst teams in the NBA, but they are. But you can still execute offensively, yeah. especially when the other team allows it to happen. Yeah, and they can hit the three, and they've got guys that can go out there and expose you. And this is not an encouraging trend, Doug. 128, 125, 115 of the last three games to the Sixers, Nets, and Suns, as you mentioned. I, I don't know how else to look at that other than a disinterest and a lack of, of energy on playing defense. I mean, that's not the staple of a Steve Clifford team. hasn't been a trend that this team has, you know, or, or, or a pattern this team has done over the past couple of years, what else can you take away from that other than these, you know, there's not a lot of interest and there's a lot of frustration right now. Yeah. And it's across the board. I think it's from players that are playing well offensively, including Dwight Howard. It's against one-on-one defense, Kimba getting blown by several times in this game that led to threes or open layups. Like it's not, it's not players that we traditionally know as, uh, players that struggle on defense like Frank Kaminsky and occasionally Jeremy Lamb. It's not these players that are – I mean, they're struggling too, but it's not those players that are are responsible for this complete breakdown defensively. This is a, this is a leadership issue. This starts at the when, – when you have – when you have a team that has played well defensively the past couple of seasons – and you know they have the capability of doing that, and they're not. I think you have to point to the top of the roster uh, when you do that. But we did see a few really good offensive performances from Dwight Howard, 30 points, 12 rebounds from him. And then Nick Batum, 29 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. Statistically, uh, one of his best games of the season, 4 of 5 from beyond the arc, 11 of 18 from the field in total, made up for a uh, game in which uh, Kimball Walker struggled 4 of 14 from the field. A second straight game struggling for him. You can see, I think, maybe part of it is just a random sample of games in which Kimba Walker is not performing well, and I maybe part yeah. of it too is, you know, sort of a, a release a little bit. Like, you know, he, he gave his absolute everything to try to hold on to playoff hopes, and I think – I'm speculating a little bit here, uh, maybe assigning him something that's that's not necessarily happening, but I think it would be natural once that playoff flame was extinguished for there to be a little bit of a release or maybe a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And you've seen two straight games now where where Kimball Walker has not looked very he's had some he's had some we've seen some glimpses, right? We've seen some flashes where he's put guys on their heels and he's still doing the same kind of Kimball Walker things, but just not hitting a shot as effectively as he was uh previously. Yeah, and could just be worn down physically too. I mean, I don't think we're gonna sit here and say Kimba doesn't want to win or isn't trying, but to your point, like he's been through the ringer this year. He's been the guy that's led them. And has been the only reason to watch on most nights, um, you know, certainly consistently and from an excitement standpoint. So, man, I, you know, it's only natural, but uh, he's got to be somewhat. Everyone's dinged up at this time of year, too. Doug. But to your point, like with things 
appearing to be pretty much out of reach. Uh, it's not shocking. It's not, it's not that surprising, um, to see him, you know, let, I don't, it's hard to say he's letting off the gas. You know what I mean? Like it's difficult for me to sit here and say that he's, he's not giving it his all Doug, but the results just have not been Kimba like. All right, Malik Monk gets a few more minutes at backup point guard. Of course, Michael Carter-Williams now electing to have surgery. He will miss the rest of the season. Malik, 0 of 3 from beyond the arc. He's shooting 30% or 31%. We'll give him the, the point two. We'll, we'll, we'll give him the rounding, the roundup. So 31% from the field uh, from three. That's surprising, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um surprising from the fact that that was his thing coming in. That was what he did in college. That was what he was supposed to hang his hat on in the NBA. It's all gone awry. So, I mean, you would like to see that be able to bounce back to that, but it just hasn't happened as of that. If you want to contribute it to other things, him trying to figure out the point guard, you know, him not getting minutes till late in the season, him not being able to get in the groove, you can. But the fact of the matter is he just hasn't been able to hit his shot the way he's going to need to um, to be effective and to help this team, to be quite honest. The other rookie, Dwayne Bacon, gets eight minutes in the first half, so you can see Steve Clifford starting to reevaluate the rotation as uh, the Hornets' playoff hopes become slowly become mathematically impossible. No Billy Hernan Gomez in this game. I think there were some questions on Twitter about that. I really That just came down to Phoenix playing really, really small. They were without a lot of their key pieces in this game. Uh, so uh, they just decided to go small, and the Hornets matched up with them on that. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Rick Bennell, beat writer, Charlotte Hornets for the Charlotte Observer. You're listening to Locked On Hornets on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. Think about that. If they won 15 games, if they win 15-0, they'd be a lot better. Wait, hold on. Breaking news. Yeah. Breaking news. Pull that sound bite. You know I wasn't about to try to do some math. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. And joining us now, beat writer on the Charlotte Hornets for the Charlotte Observer, Rick Bunnell. Rick, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Good to. Uh, the Hornets are struggling to play defense right now, finding it difficult to beat even the bad teams, and their coach is sounding like he's running low on answers. What happened to this team that had a lot of hope and a lot of expectations before this season began? Um, Doug, I don't think it ever fit together. Um, you know, typically when I think of Steve Clifford teams, I think of teams that aren't necessarily the most um, talented aren't always the most dynamic offensively, but are usually better than the sum of their parts. Um, unfortunately, that's very much not the case uh, with this one. Um, I don't think that they have, um, you know, Clifford put it, pretty, I thought, pretty well after the game uh, last Sunday that uh, they have consistently in the past um, been disciplined and committed on defense and that they have not had that sort of um, um, consistent commitment to that concept. And I don't know at this point, at first I really thought that uh, Nick's uh, uh, Nick's injury and that all the time that Cody missed and such, I really thought they had a chance um, at some point this season to figure out how to play, um, play much better together than they have. 
I'm starting to have my doubts about whether that's ever going to happen with this group. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at some of the the numbers and where they rank, and there's a lot of things that they're still doing well that they traditionally have done well under Steve Clifford, including guarding transition uh, and defensive rebounding and not allowing the other team uh, to get offensive rebounds, things like that. Uh, but it is defense and, and guarding the three-point line uh, where this team has suffered. And and one player they brought in in Dwight Howard to, to improve some of that defense by having that uh, physical presence underneath uh, hasn't hasn't translated into an overall better defense. So where do you feel like the breakdowns have happened there? It's less about him protecting the rim than it is about um, pick and rolls, particularly really high pick and rolls. Um, some nights I think you get it. Some nights I think you don't. And unfortunately in those situations, it becomes more about whether the player is getting individually beat on his own than it is about the effect on team defense. I think a lot, I think um, this team has to rotate an awful lot. And as effective as, as, um, as Dwight is, you know, obviously in the classic sort of, um, you know, blocking shots, uh, grabbing defensive rebounds kind of way, um, there, they end up out of position an awful lot. And that's partially because I think, I, I think, uh, Dwight, um, some days he has it when it comes to uh, uh, doing what a what a big man has to do um, on high pick and rolls, and sometimes he isn't. You know, there's an awful lot of decision making that goes on with that. It's hedging. It's it's um, it's 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 coming up high. It's backing off. It's a lot of little things, and um, there are days. I mean, I, the the uh, of late, the one that really comes to mind is that game in Toronto. Where in the first half he was just dreadful, and Valanciunas just ate him up. All right, so we know this team isn't mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, but realistically, they are now playing for things other than what most likely would have been a quick first round exit, right? But this is a veteran team, a team that was built to make the playoffs. Is it unrealistic? to expect them to play for pride, for fans, for their coach after their playoff flame has essentially been extinguished? Difficult, difficult question, and I think that you're going to see. Um, Doug, I think there are days after, now that there's nothing really tangible at stake. I think there, there are days when you're going to see them play well, and there are days when you aren't. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the real question um, along those lines is, at what point, and I'm wondering if, and, and when I asked, when I pose this question, I'm wondering if the, if the answer might be ever, um, are is are they totally going to pour point uh, minutes in the direction of uh, of not just Monk and Bacon, but uh, Billy Hernan Gomez? I don't know about you, but I was somewhat surprised that, um, particularly with with Cody out, that uh, Hernan Gomez did not at least get a look in the first half of that game uh, the, the other day on Saturday. That uh, For him to DNPCD in this situation kind of surprised me. Yeah, and again, I think it goes back to, to, to something that you said in one of the previous answers, that I think there still is a question as to whether 
whether this group could be taken into the, the next season and be be successful. And, and it's a question that I'm sure the entire organization is asking and trying to answer. And uh, maybe one of the, the top questions for whatever front office, uh, uh, whatever their choice is for that front office position. Um, looking, to, looking ahead, uh, Rick, the Hornets will have a lot more questions than answers this offseason. One of the major questions will be what to do with Kimba Walker. We've talked a lot about how there is no rebuild with Kimba Walker. Do you see a scenario where the Hornets could rebuild and re-sign Kimba Walker? I think anything's possible. Um, you know, we um, I, I just giving you a little bit of an historical example. I can remember, and it's interesting because this is something that Michael Jordan was personally involved in. I can remember years and years ago when there was a perception around the league that Juwan Howard had a contract with the uh, with the Washington Wizards that was untradeable. Well, it got traded. So I am not, um, you know, I, I'm kind of a never say never person when it comes to the idea that uh, that there's nothing that can be done. Having said that, the the macro problem is huge. There. Um, they have a whole lot of contracts that other people are probably not going to be interested in, and they're in, and they're going to be in a cap environment next season, next summer, when only a handful of teams are going to be under the cap. So I don't mean to make people's eyes glaze over with capology kind of things, but the reality is it's going to be very hard to um, to move pieces other than Kemba or maybe Jeremy Lamb. Having said that. I also think that there's the totally separate issue here, and I asked him about this specifically the other day of practice, is if Kemba, one of the things you adore about him, you know, is his competitive nature, um, his will to win, his hatred of of losing. I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, Elvin Gentry literally compared Kemba to Kobe one day. Um, I mentioned that because... The other day when Kemba was talking um, um, after practice, uh, I asked him specifically, if a, if the next general manager came to you and said, I think it's unavoidable that there is a deep rebuild here, are you, um, are, are you open to the idea of riding that out and staying in Charlotte? Um, Kemba was Kemba's reaction to that was in in in, in, a, in effectively I don't know. Yeah, right. And I I guarantee that they're going to ask me that. I guarantee that if I ask them that question, I guarantee they're going. Um, then the, the next general manager is going to ask that question, and that's a big one. Yeah, Rick David Walker. Is that the first time we've seen that from Kemba? Because I was a little surprised to see that. Because when the trade talks came up, you know, he was visibly shaken by just rumors of that, and and by all indications. I have, of course, been loyal and wanted to be here. Is that the first time you've seen any, any, any thinking on his part of of not being here? I think I caught him off guard a little bit with a question, to be quite uh, quite frank, uh, because he specifically said that he had given no thought to that. Uh, but but he did say, you know, nobody likes likes losing, and I'm certainly, you know, I'm certainly very much that way. Um, it's a you know, Kemba has always said that he wants to be here, and I totally buy that. I think I think Charlotte has become home here. He's in the midst of building a, a you know a big dream home here. But if you 
I mean, David, I guess what I'm saying is I think it, I, I think I introduced a whole new dynamic to him when I said, you know, if the general manager literally said to you, you know, this, this, I, you know, that, that this would have to be a, you know, bust it down to the studs kind of um, rebuild that it might be three years before the, the Hornets have any chance to be competitive. Are you willing to ride that out? You know, he's already, you know, at the end of the season, he's going to have seven NBA seasons on his ledger. Uh, I can understand why somebody who really cares about winning the way that he does, I can understand why his first reaction to that sort of a hypothetical would be, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think it, w- there's a couple of other interesting aspects of this, too. One, that Kimba Walker uh, went through one of the most traumatic seasons in Charlotte professional sports history, the the seven-win season. So he went through that. And uh, he is, is someone that just went through a season where he was the third alternate choice to join the All-Star game, probably deserved uh, to, to be in it from the jump, but a lot of people thought that the fact that the Hornets were struggling uh, prevented him from being selected in the All-Star game. And while he is very team-focused, while he is very Charlotte-focused, I think he also has expressed how much he enjoys uh, being part of those All-Star festivities and and the prestige that comes along with that. That would be very hard for him to acquire if the Hornets were to break it all down and rebuild again. So I, I think a, a lot of those factors will will start to... He'll become more aware of those as as the 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 grind of the season starts to dissipate and and he starts looking towards his own future. Yeah, dog. And the other thing to keep in mind, you know, um, he has all. I mean, he has been so below market financially. I mean, yeah. you know, that contract he signed it was. I, I don't think it was a bad decision on his part to take the long-term security. He knew come hell or high water, he there was, you know, that that he was guaranteed forty-eight million dollars when he did it. You know, it, it's really funny about that. That that day just before the uh, that day in the preseason when he signed the contract, I remember I was over at uh, WBTV um, taping a, a taping a Hornets segment. And it was very interesting in the sense that when that number got around, that they had guaranteed him $48 million over four years, the immediate reaction from a lot of fans was that, you know, they, they were shocked. They felt like they were overpaying him so badly. That may be the most team-friendly contract in the entire league now. He's going to get paid at very minimum two to two and a half times as much money in a new contract, maybe three times as much money. The max number for him is over $32 million a season. So what I'm getting at is, if that's true, to use Nick, you know, to use the Nick contract as an example of the situation, um, Kemba may be a max player to somebody. Is he going to be a max player to this team as it starts over? And there are a lot of different factors that are going to come into that. And obviously one of them is, are you willing to be the guy who lives with being part of hitting bottom in order to swim back to the bubbles? Rick Bennell, Hornets beat writer for the Charlotte Observer. Last question, Rick, before we get you out of here. What's the number one question that you are getting from your mailbag requests? And what do you think that says about where the temperature of the fan base is uh, as we approach the close of this season? 
Um, the question I've been getting for months and months is always, my, why isn't Monk playing? And that's kind of frustrating to me because I think it's pretty obvious why Malik Monk isn't playing. Doug, you know, you and I chat about that all the time. I don't think that uh, I don't think that Malik is unfixable. I don't, but I but I really do think that a lot of the problems he had, um, you know, not only de- defensively but also his ability to, you know, to, to keep a, a, an offense organized when he's playing the point. Um, a lot of that stuff was predictable that that was going to happen, you know, at least early in his career. You you know, there, you can't make him six foot six. You can't add 20 pounds of muscle and you can't wave a wand over him and suddenly make him somebody who's a much better def- defender than he was in college. I do think that there is a huge misconception on the public's part that um, throwing a lot of minutes his way will by itself fix, you know, fi- significantly impact fixing these problems. And that's not a sort of case. Um, you know, it was really interesting, Doug, the other day before the, um, before the Suns game, obviously Jay Triano, the interim coach, of the Suns um, has been, has, you know, has spent the entire season um, in kind of a developmental situation, you know, um, working primarily with getting young players better, um, better in order to contribute in the long run to a Suns improved future. And I, because for that reason, I asked Jay very specifically, I said, if hypothetically Steve came to you and said, what can you tell me from your recent experience about developing young players? Is there any one thing that you have to prioritize? That was really interesting. What Jay's reaction was, you need to hold them accountable. You can't make them think that no matter what they do, that they're still going to get minutes. You have to, sometimes you just have to, you know, sit them down and remind them that minutes are not just bequeathed to them. They're not just given to them. Well, you know, it, this this situation with Malik and and Dwayne Bacon it's much much more complicated than I think a lot of fans appreciate if you if you if you just listen to the way the questions are are communicated to me by the fans. All right, Rick Bennell, beat writer on the Charlotte Hornets for the Charlotte Observer. Rick, always great to talk to you. We appreciate you taking the time out for us. Absolutely, Doug. Thanks for inviting me. Have a good day. All right, taking a short pause. We'll come back. We'll tie a bow on this show. You're listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Hornets. Our boys got to go Cobra Kai. We got to go 80s villain defense. Grow a goatee. Do the uh, gladiator stab him real quick in the ribs before the game. Have an Eastern European accent. Only on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Back now, that was a very interesting interview, David, with Rick. Uh, very heavy, though. Everything with the Hornets is so no, heavy no, no. right now. <laughs> we got to play some games with them next time or something, liven it up a little I bit. I guess it's just it's what, like tough but it's tough. It's tough when they're when they're giving up twenty two point leads to the Phoenix Suns and they're losing games badly to the Brooklyn Nets. Like it's tough and, to be yeah. to play games. They've got to play some games so that we can play some games. You know what it's like, Doug? Like, we, the three of us, and certainly there are more people than just the three of us that were on that call, but, like, there's, there's like, an acknowledgement, an unspoken uh, agreement that we've all been here since the beginning. <laughs> Everyone's just exhausted. 
and they're, they're, they're out of answers. Like you're, you're scrapping for answers and something that that's going to go right. But man, it's just, I think everyone is just at the end of the rope at this point. And listen, I know, I know that Rick is frustrated with all of the questions about Malik Monk. And it seems strange to me that in this, that in this season, throughout this season, Malik Monk will, will go out and knock down a three in a game that may be completely out of reach and the crowd will give him the absolute mm-hmm. biggest cheer that they've given anything in the entire game. And that's that's strange to me, but at the same time, it, it makes sense to me, David, because I, I think that that signals to me that the fan base is ready for the future. I just think that everyone is a little bit exhausted with with this with this core group you know i I think i think there is an acceptance from the fan base that this experiment has run its course and the question is will the organization be able to will they have the will to retool in the offseason will they have the ability to retool in the offseason and and try to point this ship in, in somewhat of a different direction because obviously I don't even know if it's necessarily about Malik Monk or if it's just about something new, something young, something shiny, something energetic, something that, to be fair, the Hornets sold really hard. You know, the Hornets like sold Malik Monk when they drafted him yeah, really hard. And so it's, it, it, it makes sense that the fan base is like giddy for him. Because, and it felt like, yeah, and it felt like they finally got lucky. In the, on the draft, mm-hmm. like that never mm-hmm. happens, and it continues to not happen. Apparently, <laughs> for now, for now, for now. What are uh, the, you know? It's, yeah, it, it's just like they had a right to be excited. I think a lot of people were excited. We were excited. You know, we had our on our draft show. We were all giddy about it, and um, it just has not panned out this this season. One of the other interesting things that Rick brings up is the fact that this team. You know, I was asking him about the defense, and he said this team has to rotate a lot. It's a team that is constantly, David, recovering on defense. And Clifford mentioned one-on-one defensive breakdowns uh, uh, in his postgame comments after the Suns game. And he's mentioned it throughout the season that it's been a problem for the Charlotte Hornets this season. They can't keep anyone in front of them. And so that causes them to rotate a lot. And this is not – David, we talked about – the Hornets are not the Miami Heat. They are not full of speed – and athleticism and, and quick burst speed other than really like Kimball Walker. You know, like Nick, Nick Batum is not a guy that you think about when you think about hard closeouts. Marvin Williams starting right. to show his age. Dwight Howard, as Rick said, there are some games when he's got it and some games where like at, right. at the end of that Phoenix Suns game, he was just not, he was not interested in playing defense. He was not no. interested in moving. He was just sort of in those pick and roll situations, standing still and sending Kimball Walker on his way. And that was the the Alfred Payton bucket that cut it to two. Was essentially they put they put Howard in a pick and roll, and Howard didn't move an inch towards Payton as he drove the lane, and Kimba was left on his own, and and it was over. So that that that's that's the Hornets' defensive situation. That's where they are, and they they have. It's been a result of forming a team of skill and basketball IQ and forgetting about athleticism and and just raw speed. Yeah, and then bursts of energy and speed. Yeah, I mean, I think you watch the end of those two games, Doug, especially the Nets game and the Suns game, though. I mean, even though they won that game, I think 
to a better team that might not have turned out that way. But how can you not be exhausted with the product that's been on the floor for really the last two seasons, right? I mean, it's it's tough to not be uh, worn out from that. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted. That, the Hornets are exhausted. <laughs> I love, I, and, but I'm not exhausted doing this show. This has been a fun show. I oh, think God we've no. learned a lot. The, the the talk with Rick was very interesting and it and it ran us over time so we don't have time to do the the Zach Lowe analysis but I want to talk about it tomorrow Nick Denning is going to make his triumphant return yes. to the show so we'll get his take on where the Hornets are Zach Lowe uh, thinks they are a mystery because of the point differential essentially uh, the Hornets it. having a positive point differential despite being six and a half games six games out of the playoff race. <laughs> I don't know. This, this is my favorite thing for this season, though. It's whenever someone takes a peek into the Hornets, you know, and looks at the team, looks at the roster, and then looks at the results, none of it makes sense. They can't figure it out. And we've been trying to figure it out all season. You just get – it doesn't make any sense. Well, we will try to. We will try to make some sense of it. I have some theories, some things that we've – it's really – it's going to be a season recap type of thing because it's it's oh, it's boy. things that we've talked about all season, but if you're new to the show, if you're wondering what the hell is going on with the Charlotte Hornets, we'll try to answer Zach Lowe, we'll try to answer you, uh, and we'll take a listener question as well. Trey uh, on Twitter gave us a great question that really ties into all of this, so we'll tackle that tomorrow as well. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Locked on Hornets. Thanks to our guest Rick Bennell. Read his latest article uh, in the Charlotte Observer. We'll see uh, Nick Denning tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. For David, I'm Doug. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Follow us on Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.